If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be blood-curdling, and here's why. This series is all about horror at the D&D table, and it will have three episodes, leading to a short fiction that ties it all together. In this, the first episode, we ask, what do we need to craft a good horror story? In the second episode, what do we need to add terror to our monsters? And in the final episode, how are fears applied to good role-playing? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So, horror, terror, spook em ups. <laughs> Sir Arthur Conan Doyle says, where there is no imagination, there is no horror. So I thought that applied pretty good to the role-playing table, because it's all imagination. We're all just making shit up and pretending together. So... You're inferring that the D&D table is pretty much the greatest place to hop into horror. Yes! So here's the thing. I'm an absolute chicken shit when it comes to scary movies. I don't like horror movies. I like really good psychological kind of spooky stories, but like abject horror, nah. What rubs you the wrong way about abject horror? I I don't know. I've just, I think it just attacks my sense of calm. I'm very collected and put together usually, and it really, really messes with my ability to just keep my shit together. Like it, I, I don't know. It 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 affects something deep. Mm, you got to master your fear, Travis. <laughs> don't let them control you. But I think horror is really challenging to tackle as a DM because there's a lot of elements to really like. How do you attack? your player's sense of calm and collectedness like I <laughs> I get when I watch scary movies. And I think that horror is tricky because it does require a specific way of building up the tension that if that's slipped for a moment, then it can all kind of tumble apart. Well, and this is why you and I kind of set to the task of seeing if we could actually complete and create a system to do this easily because it is it's challenging to yeah. do so because if you miss a step if you miss a beat then your horror has gone out the window and the last time i tried putting together a horror based encounter it was kind of just all over the place and i didn't feel great about it it's like a smattering of like oh i know blood and gore is kind of spooky and i know like spooky sounds are spooky and i know i have to foreshadow stuff but but where and yeah. how and why and yeah all of those questions so that's why we're putting this series together so let's talk about how to easily craft a good horror story this is the strategy stateroom where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most All right, so The Trajectory of Fear by Ash Law is an incredible document 
and definitely worth Googling. Just Google The Trajectory of Fear by Ashlaw. And this is where a lot of the inspiration from this came from. Yeah, absolutely. Ashlaw did such a good job putting it together. I was searching high and low for stuff that talked about the structure of horror. And so many art, different articles were just kind of like, oh yeah, this is scary and that's scary. And if you put it together, then it's definitely scary. It's could, it could be. <laughs> it has the potential. Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of kind of loosey-goosey kind of stuff. But Ashlaw did just a tremendous job at tackling this. And it all started kind of around the different types of horror. And you can hear uh, Stephen King talk about different types of horror. And I think a lot of different horror authors have a different take on this, but they all kind of skirt the same three things. Yeah. The three things that are the kind of building blocks of different kinds of fear. So you got psychological terror, unnatural, and just gross out. So gross out is pretty self-explanatory. It's just like the visual, visceral, nasty stuff that pops up in these stories. Yeah, so every time uh, you see like a bloodied handprint might be like the tiptoe into gross out and then like disembowelment or like disgusting muck monsters or something like that kind of really disgusting wants to make you hurl kind of and, kind of fear. And this kind of fear is it's easy to throw in, but it doesn't stand on its own. So then you need to work it in with unnatural things, things that go against the natural order and feel wrong. So zombies are a big one that fall into that category. Mm, yeah. One of my favorites is like just natural phenomena doing the opposite of what they're supposed to. So like Stephen King's birds, I think, was mm. a really good example of that where it's, no, why are they behaving this way? And that just kind of kept leading into more and more and more. And you're just like, this is totally wrong. This goes against all natural rules. That's a great way to like kind of start off a story with just something that feels wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then what about psychological? Yeah, psychological horror has these aspects to questioning your own reality, feeding on fears that a person holds everyone would have a bad reaction to seeing gore for the most part yeah unless for you're sure. a bit of a weirdo <laughs> um but psychological horror feeds on things like uh feeling confined questioning your reality having your senses attacked questioning whether or not your friends are really your friends mm. that kind of like deep digging into your mind yeah like seeing things that maybe aren't there, hallucinations, those kind of things. And if we just use these as kind of like loose categories to put things in, it really helps. This is kind of a foundation of really understanding this next part that we're going to get into because there is ways to approach horror in each one of these aspects. So knowing where to use them is all going to become clearer here as we go forward. So then pulling directly from Ashlaw's five stages of fear. And adding one. <laughs> True. Just because it makes sense to us. Um, so if you got to start a horror story with comfort. That's establishing what is normal so that everything else feels very abnormal. And this is really important in certain stories, especially in fantasy stories, because... 
fantasy can take some pretty weird turns. Absolutely. What is normal, you know, like devils running around with horns on their head, we have to establish that tieflings are totally normal. They're not the thing to be feared. So even if you're playing in a really bizarre world where gravity doesn't make any sense, if you were to try to use gravity reversing or, you know, that kind of thing later on without having already established some really, really important steps in kind of those fantasy concepts, then you don't know what should be terrifying. If you are playing against normal later on, it's going to have a much greater effect. If you even have in mind what the end of your story looks like, you can establish normalcy by detailing the opposite of that. Absolutely. Having the end in mind, so having the final battle or what is it really going to affect your characters in a horror sense. So Ash used the example of Alien, which we thought was really appropriate because it's one of our favorite films. (laughs) An example of that would be, you know, Space could be horrific if you started on Earth. It could be a great horror thing to to make people scared. On its own, yeah. On its own. But since in the very beginning, we've established that normal is that they are in space. Life on a ship. If there were 300 people on that ship, and then all of a sudden there was five, That would be horrifying, but we've established (laughs) that there's a couple of crew members. It's a very small crew. So now we've established that. We've established a lot of of the elements that are going to be played against later on. You know, at the end of the story, Ripley is whittled down to one person, and she's lost all of her resources and all of her backup, and now that's terrifying because we established at the very beginning that she had a few crew members that she could rely on, and they were a nice, tight family. And now all of this has more gravity. Mm -hmm. So comfort is that first step of really establishing what is normal, what is comfortable. What's the second? Then we move into unease, where we establish the threat. So basically, this is introducing the knowledge that something is not right with that normal world. It's very minor and subtle, and it just makes you feel uncomfortable. And a good example with that, that unease is detailed in when they get that radio signal. They get a distress beacon. Weird, distress beacon this far out. That's strange. Oh, we're going to take a a detour. Okay, now I'm getting this sense of unease. This this could be bad. This could be really bad. Then what happens when they check out the distress call? Well, then you enter into a sense of dread. So now they go and they visit the planet and they find some eggs. Now there's some serious dread. This There is clear evidence that this is not right. <laughs> this is not a regular distress call. There's an alien ship, and we've found a whole bunch of eggs. Uh-oh. Yeah, and you're mentioning those eggs, and I like that as an example of what Ash says is a signpost, which is evidence of something bad being nearby before that actual bad thing is there. So... She uses examples in her games of little red flies when it's undead around. But a ton of horror movies use this in one way or another. And those eggs, for me, say that there's aliens around. Well, exactly. And later on, like, we still haven't seen the alien. Yeah. We don't see the alien for quite some time yet. And I think there's a lot of other examples. Like, this could be 
something as, as bad as, you know, we're investigating the bad. We're not sure if there is a werewolf indeed in this town, but now we've found claw marks. Ooh, there's evidence. Yeah. Now this is real. Whereas before we were just sensing unease. You know, there was stories, townspeople were talking about a potential werewolf, all of that kind of thing leads in that unease but dread is where you really start all of the evidence starts stacking up Uh uh-oh so this is really bad yeah and that happened in alien really where kane discovers the eggs and then you know that everything's wrong and so the tension keeps kind of building up so a good horror story switches back and forth between that unease and dread and it just builds the tension there's just more and more pressure in the story as those elements are introduced. A good example of that is an alien. Now Kane has this face hugger on him and we're all worried, oh shit, something bad is going to happen. Then the face hugger falls off. Okay, that's fine. Now we're going back to unease and then they have a wonderful dinner together. Oh, I'm relaxed. I'm a little bit more cautious. Then all of a sudden Kane starts having chest pains. Uh-oh. Now you're feeling that that dread again. Yeah. Everything is saying that this is wrong. And then occasionally, movies like Alien will spike into terror. And that's the next level up where something terrible is imminent. It's super in your face. That's where the face hugger was literally on his face. And then that culminates with horror. And that's the revelation where you meet the danger and everything seems like it's about to be destroyed and that's when the chest burster pops out you've got we've used horror and in this case going back to our last couple of points there now we're using gore so we've got the gore it's visceral it's gross it's bloody it's in your face that's why this movie made people faint in the theaters (laughs) back in the 70s it just destroyed people because it was so good at getting this across So then once that's done, you go back to unease, dread, and go back and forth between those. Yeah. So horror is really all about meeting the danger, this like revelation. And the challenge with horror is that if you jump to horror too quick, you lose all of the tension. It immediately just releases that balloon and you're back to, like you said, you're back to the happy dinner where everything seems like it's okay. I mean, there still might be a little bit of dread for the audience because they know what they're watching, but <laughs> the characters in the story certainly don't feel it. And that's where you start building up that tension again with the unease and dread. So the terror near the end of the alien film, what happens there? Well, for the next part of the film, we go back to unease and dread where they're trying to find the alien inside the ship. Now it's grown up. It's an adult and it starts picking people off. But you don't see a lot of the gore. Like, there's no horror. There's no terror. It's a little, it's little tiny glimpses, and that is the terror. And then it goes back to unease and dread until the next person gets picked off. And then the entire film culminates with her trying to blow up the entire ship and get off while this alien is somewhere on the ship. And that, again just goes back to unease and dread as she's trying to set the ship to self-destruct. And if you think back to the alien film, 
it was really a very, very short window of horror. It wasn't this giant climactic fight. It was just this quick moment where she sees that it's in fact inside the escape pod with her, and then she fights it and blows it out the airlock. And as soon as she blows it out the airlock, that tension is completely gone. Everyone's happy. Oh, we can all breathe a big sigh of relief, and that's done. So what that film does so well is it doesn't show you the monster, and that's why everyone thinks that Alien is such a finely crafted horror film. So what are some other examples of films that don't quite follow this? Because I, I believe that there's many different ways to do this right, but we're talking about like building up really intense horror, whereas other other tropes or other types of films don't really lend themselves to this. Yeah. So the whole slasher trope always involves some kind of a murderer that's on the loose. But what they do is pretty quick into it. They reveal the killer in some way or another. It's 20 minutes into the movie and you've already seen the first teenager get picked off by the man with the giant machete. Yeah. We're not curious about how it happened. We're not curious who it is. We know the killer and now we know what to be afraid of, but there's a lot less actual fear involved. It's still a fun movie to watch, but it evokes very different feelings than Alien does. There's not a lot of buildup in the sense of like you hit the comfort, you establish what normal is for all these teens in this tiny sleepy town. And then all of a sudden you do a quick beat on dread of like, uh oh, something bad's about to happen. And then you pretty much just bounce between terror, horror, terror, horror. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of dread back to terror and horror. <laughs> yeah, but you barely even dip your toes into unease. You're past feeling unsettled right away into running for your life. Yeah. As soon as you see Freddy Krueger, as soon as you see Jason, all of the unease is gone. I guess that's kind of why every sequel has to just open up with <laughs> with the next thing. Like the, the first movie in a slasher series or in one of those styles of films that's the one with the most unease they usually draw it out through about half the film but ever since then you know the monster so you might as well just get to the good stuff of <laughs> flipping back and forth between terror and horror so that leads us to this final piece is this matrix for horror how do we structure all of this so it's really easy to just kind of plug ideas in start with the end go back to the beginning, establish normal, because we have to make a point in every one of these stages. In order to make them really powerful, we have to make a point to point out what is normal or so that we can build up to the, the attack, to attack that normal, the final step of this whole thing, that horror angle. So with this, we created uh, this neat table you can find it it's available for free on our patreon you can just go there and download it and give it a try jordan and i uh, just went through this whole process of adding some in for an example and we'll provide those examples to you as well if we use a super simple concept a farmer and a monstrous scarecrow that's going to terrorize him and the party and the party so we start with the monster's abilities. The scarecrow can stare at you and paralyze you. And it's got some claws. Other than that, it doesn't have a lot going for it. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty simple monster, but I think if we use this table, we can establish a game or two, at least, of true horror 
by just building up to the scarecrow. So of course, first we're talking about setting up the normal. You've got your farmer with his crops. Everything is going fine. He's got his routine and he's happy. So that's the kind of psychological normal. Yeah. So you plop that into the normal psychological square. What about the natural order of things? Well, I mean, if we want to really establish this, we could say that the birds and the crops nearby are really healthy. He's happy. His farm is growing great. If his farm was not doing so well, then later on, when we talk about crops dying and things like that, that isn't a sense of unease or dread. That's just normal. Yeah. So we have to establish at the very beginning when the party meets the farmer, hey, my crops are doing just fine. <laughs> and then, of course, if we want this farmer to eventually die a terrifying, gruesome death <laughs> at the hands of the scarecrow, we have to establish that the farmer is alive and fit and he's doing all his farm duties very well. And the players won't feel that immense sense of loss or horror or any of those things unless we have, again, already established that he's a pretty trim and fit farmer. He's doing this all on his own. He's in his 60s. So all of this stuff has to be laid for it to pay off later. So you can find a different way to really tackle all of these aspects. And you can see the, the complete list of examples. But... You know, if we were to, say, hop into unease, what's one for, uh, let's see, kind of a gross-out sense of unease? Well, the scarecrow could have attacked some rats that are living nearby. So now you're starting to see little piles of dead rats. Oh, and they're like clawed open or something like yeah, that. Because, like... yeah, the scarecrow has a claw attack that it can use. Yeah. And, of course, the scarecrow's not going to like do something that an animal would do it's going to like rip them right in half and it's going to be real nasty. Oh, and it has a paralysis. So the rats, when they're found, could be fresh, but they're totally paralyzed. Like they're super kind of rigor mortis stiff. Mm. Gross. And their tiny rat eyes have that look of horror. Oh. <laughs> okay, what about, uh, let's bump it up a notch to dread. What's an example of like a psychological dread that... Well, here's where we really need to use those signposts really, really effectively. So I think maybe psychological dread could be the farmer does, but the party does not see glowing eyes everywhere. Like every night, if the party's hanging out with the farmer trying to protect him and his crops for a couple of days, everywhere he goes, he sees these glowing eyes of the scarecrow outside in his cornfield or something like that. Yeah. Maybe you saw once and he's not sure if he's seeing them again. But then as you're building that dread for the party later on, you could pepper that in too, that exact description that he gave of the eyes. And so now when things are starting to really ramp up, some member of the party is seeing those eyes. Yeah. When the party starts to see it, I would argue that that might even be in that impending doom kind of terror angle. Yeah. Like that's when it really starts to ramp up. And you don't want to go beyond there until you're really ready to pay off the the whole story. I mean, you could have for for like gross out signposts, maybe his crops look fine, but they're all poisoned. They inflict temporary poison. So any party member that maybe eats them feels instantly sick and they bite into it, even though it looks shiny and beautiful, this crop, whatever they're growing, but it's full of maggots inside or something like that. Like yeah. that's that 
signpost impending. This is gross. (laughs) Getting nasty. Okay, so then the impending doom, which is ramping up to that terror stage, and that's just before shit goes off the rails and the fight starts. So you could do a natural terror by doing, say, for some unknown reason, there is just a tornado of crows circling the entire farm for like a full 24-hour cycle. Nobody knows why. The crows are like dropping dead from exhaustion because they're just circling yeah, the and farm forever. And maybe that's also creating that boundary so it's like you're feeling more trapped. And Yeah, that's good. And then finally you end the whole thing off with horror. True horror. That's the final step, which would be in the in the case of an RPG, an attack. Rolling so initiative. Yeah. You roll that initiative and you could do that in a lot of different ways. What's one that you could do with a scarecrow? That's when you have the scarecrow try and target a party member with its paralyzing ability. Ooh. If it works, great. If it doesn't, you could even try and have that scarecrow, you know, fade and try again in a little bit. Keep that terror going. Yeah, kind of hunt them down. You could try to use that attack from a hidden position because it is just a gaze attack. So if it is from a hidden position, now you haven't seen it quite yet, but then you could leap into unnatural horror by even just describing the scarecrow itself because that is unnatural. This thing shouldn't be walking and talking. And now just your description is actually paying off. And if you've ever played a game if you ever ever dm'd a game where the description of the character or the creature didn't inspire fear that's because there wasn't this lead up to it yeah you know it it just fell flat because oh now you're just describing a chimera but if you're leading all of this up and everything has been leading to this point your descriptions are going to land a lot better and of course, you can add some gross out into that description with a lot of monsters, including this one, if you've got like bugs crawling out of its arms and squishing and yeah. Yeah. And you're worried about fighting that thing. Or you could even do it as the final finisher. All of these people that this scarecrow has killed, all of their souls or something kind of spill out or just the, the scarecrow's guts, the, the stuff that's keeping it all together, maybe just like rotten and... Yeah, that's gross. Yeah. So you can see all of these examples on our Patreon. Uh, we have a document there that is just basically the table itself, so you can use it in your own games. We found it a lot quicker and a lot easier, and it starts to even... St- the story starts to structure itself once you fill this out. It's... And it's just when you're looking at the table and you're looking at one spot in that table, it's super easy to say, okay, I've got a scarecrow. What goes here? And what I found really helpful with this is once it's filled out as a DM, you know not to go past a certain point. So now you're just using all of the different examples. So even when your party throws you a curveball and says, we're going over here, now you know what element to just add in there. Now they come across the dead rats. Now they come across one of these other signs of unease or dread, no matter where the party goes. Creates a more flexible story. Yeah, it's a super flexible story, and you're still building all of that tension that is going to pay off in the end. That being said, every time I see the Scarecrow monster in D&D, for some reason I think, 
That's not a scary monster. It's a scarecrow. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Cool. Well, that finishes us off today. Hope you enjoy it. Let us know what you think of that table if you use it. Leave us some comments or let us know your other thoughts about horror because there's a lot that we don't know and we'd love to learn it. Yes. So thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and Reddit. Join in the conversations. And thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening and, and play, play great, great games. games.